James chapter number 4. And I'd like to read a very familiar passage of Scripture, at least I believe it is to most of us. Uh, We're going to begin in verse number 13, read down to the end of uh, the chapter, down to verse number 17. The Word of God says, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell, and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Father, I pray that you would bless over these next few moments the preaching of your word. Make it real, Lord, not just in our ears, but in our hearts. And I pray that you would grip hold of our lives and adjust it more for your glory that we might walk in Your Word. Lord, we love You. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you a question as we prepare for the preaching tonight. How many people in this room would say, Preacher, I want to serve God? Is there anybody that would admit that this evening? Probably, and I didn't take an inventory, but pretty much every hand in this place probably raised. I don't know that it's often, if you were to talk to a believer and ask them, do you want to serve God, it would be very rare, if ever, that you would hear another Christian, somebody that's truly born again, say, no, preacher, I'm not interested in serving God. I'm not interested in living for Him. I'm not interested in devoting my life to Him. You see, we all have a desire, to some degree, to serve God. I would say that most of us would acknowledge that most of us have a real intent to serve God. You see, in my experience, the folks that ain't serving God, it's usually not because they don't know they should be. And usually it's not because they don't at least take some steps towards serving God. I mean, listen, you're here on a Sunday night. God bless you for it. Uh, There's a lot of folks could be here tonight and ain't. Amen? And there's some folks that couldn't be here tonight and aren't, but there's some folks could be here tonight, but, but they're not here tonight. You're here tonight. And that expresses to me, I believe, a desire to serve God and to see God's will accomplished through your life. But by the same token, I think most people in this room, if we were to ask the same question again, ask it a little bit different way, if we were to say how many people in this room, and I don't want you to raise your hand, but if we were to ask how many people in this room believe that they are serving God to the best of their ability, I'd say it would be far fewer hands that would be raised. You see, somewhere between our desire and our reality, there is what I like to call just a disconnect. Amen? Uh, how many of you have ever, and some of you men are going to know what I'm talking about, how many of you have ever spent 20 minutes trying to fix something when the only problem was it wasn't plugged into the wall? You ever done that? I've done that before. Finally, I say, well, you've got to plug it in, dummy, you know? Uh, there's a disconnect there. It's not that there's anything wrong with the device, and it's not that there's anything wrong with the outlet. It just ain't plugged in. There's a disconnect there. And by the same token, I would suggest to you this tonight, that most people know they should serve God, want to serve God. There's nothing wrong with that. And most people, in fact, I'd say everybody in this room that's been born again has the ability to serve God by the power of the Spirit of God as they surrender to Him and follow His leading. But here's the problem. Somewhere in between those two things, there's a disconnect. I believe James tonight in this passage gives us three obstacles to serving God. Or we might say three disconnects in this pursuit as we want to serve God. 
You see, he's talking to a group of believers in the book of James. There's people that would debate that. I don't think there is any debate for it. Uh, he calls them, he talks about them being beloved. He talks about their relationship and how God's changed them. I believe he was talking to saved people. And he knows they have a desire to serve God, and yet he looks at their life, and he honestly, it's almost like a medical doctor giving a diagnosis. He, he, he examines what's going on, and he looks at their symptoms, he looks at the problem, and he says, I see three things in particular that are stopping you from serving God. And I think most of us, if we begin to look at our life, will find in some form or another these three things to be present, or at least to desire a place in our lives, as it seeks to prevent us from serving God. Now, this is going to be a short, simple message tonight because they told me we have pie. Amen? So I want you to notice these three things this evening that I believe are obstacles to serving God. Look back at verse number 13. The Bible says, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Let me say, number one, the first thing I believe that prevents us from serving God when we really have a desire to, one of the first things is foolish plans that have been laid in our life. Now, let me say to you tonight that there is not necessarily anything wrong with what their desire was, but when you begin to look at the language and examine carefully, and that's why I believe this Bible is just what it ought to be, amen? We can examine carefully the language that is set before us. I think we'll find three things about their plans that betray the foolish nature of them to me. Now, let me, before we even get into it, let me say this. I think we ought to be a planning people. Amen? The Bible says that, that uh, you know, that uh, God is an orderly God. He does things in order. The things in the house of God are to be done in order. I believe that we ought to be planners. I'm guilty of planning too much, amen? I think I talked a little bit about that last week. But, I, you know, I, I think we ought to make plans in life. But there are certain things we need to consider about these plans. And I want you to notice three things that I think betray the foolishness of their plans. Notice, number one, the inspiration of these plans. He says, go to now, notice these next three words, Ye that say. It does not say, go to now, ye that have prayed about. It does not say, go to now, ye that have studied the Word of God on this matter. It does not say, ye that say, uh, or, uh, ye whom the Lord has revealed His will concerning a matter. It just simply says, ye that say. Let me say, number one, that the kind of plans that prevent us from serving God. Well, let me say, even before I say that, uh, old Dr. Seitler, Harold Seitler. Anybody know who Harold Seitler was? Harold Seitler used to say this, that duties never conflict. Think about that. Duties never conflict. We're going to find there's nothing necessarily wrong with the things that they're wanting to say, but they just left God out of the equation. I don't think there's anything wrong with a man making a living. I don't think there's anything wrong with a person wanting to financially better themselves. But we need to understand that God has a will for our lives, for your life, a will for my life. And we need to be sure that every plan that we make is sourced in God's mind and desire and definition of what our life should be. You see, the real problem was this. They had never asked God about this thing. And in my experience, the plans that derail most believers begin with, I say, I think, I want. How many times have you heard someone, and uh, they've been on a, on, on a bad path, you've seen them, they're making mistakes, they're, it's dragging them out of church, it's getting their family out of church, you can tell it's putting stress on their family, and, and you begin to ask them why they're doing this, and they'll say things like, well, I just thought I deserved it. Well, I just thought it was the only way. Well, I just think this is the best way. 
Now listen, I, I, you didn't come to be offended tonight, and I didn't come to offend you. But can I say this? What you and I think doesn't mean a thing. It might seem like a good idea, but that don't make it the will of God. In fact, I would say this, and I hope you'll listen not only to what I say, but listen through what I say when I say this. Sometimes the will of God has some pretty bad plans in it, right? Uh, we, we preached this morning about Gideon, didn't we? I'd say most military strategists would say, hey, that's a bad plan, but God got the victory through it. And by the same token, there's a lot of good plans, well-laid plans, well-thought-out plans. I mean, I'm talking about stuff where everybody had every single contingency and variable planned out. But it wasn't the will of God, and it came to absolutely no fruition. See, the first problem was this began with a, I think this is what we ought to do. Well, the fact is, everything in our lives ought to begin here with saying, I believe this is the Lord's will and what He desires for my life. It's amazing how many people get fixated. I want you to listen carefully. Get fixated on a certain point or idea or desire in their lives and let it take over completely. I've seen it happen with young people with relationships. I've seen it happen with older people with jobs or maybe houses or uh, maybe, you know, toys, a camper. And I'm not against it, amen, but I'm just saying this. You better keep it in its proper place. Because it's real easy to take something uh, that started out a blessing and turn it into an idol. We find the intention of these plans, I believe, was a source of their foolishness. I'd say, number two, the investment of these plans was foolish. Notice what it says. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow. They had it all planned out. But now listen to what they're going to do. They said, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Now, I'm going to talk here in a little while about the intent of these plans. But can I just say this, that these individuals intended on spending an entire year in this place, laboring and working for what we find out later was nothing but material goods. I want you to listen carefully. Every decision you make in life will cost you something. At the bare minimum, it'll cost your time. It can go from there. It can cost you your time. It can also cost you your energy. It can also cost you your money. Sometimes it can cost you friendships. It can cost you relationships. Sometimes it can cost you sleep at night. Sometimes it can cost you peace of mind. But mark her down. Everything you decide to do in life has a price tag attached to it. And I think the very fact that they were willing to step out of God's will or at least make a decision for which they had not considered the will of God and they were willing to take a year of their life and spend it there. I think that's a foolish investment. I think uh, when I preach through this passage about the prodigal son, oh, what a high cost he paid for just a little trip into the far country. You've heard preachers say this, and I've probably said it myself, that his sin, it took him farther than he wanted to go. It cost him more than he wanted to pay. I want you to listen carefully. You can walk out on God's will if you want, but it's going to cost you something. Uh, one of the hard things, I think, for young people to understand, they spend their whole life getting told what to do, when they can go to the bathroom, when they can talk, what they can wear, what they can't wear. And then they begin to adjust into young adulthood, and they begin to make decisions, and they kind of get the idea that they can just do anything they want. Well, I've got news for you. Nobody can stop you from doing anything you want to do, at least for the most part, maybe the police. But don't think there aren't consequences to every decision that you make. Man, that was an expensive trip into the far country. It cost him every, every single penny that he had. It cost him his peace of mind. He, he was, I believe with all my heart that the Lord intends for us to understand that that young man had been in some form of insanity while he was in the far country. You say, why do you believe that, preacher? Because the Bible says when he came to himself. 
That means before that, he wasn't at himself. Amen? If you saw somebody and they was, was muttering and mumbling and talking incoherently, you might say, that person's not at themselves, or that person is not with themselves. Well, this young man, uh, there he is, slopping the pigs, just desiring, feigning to eat the, whore, the, the, the corn that the, and the husks that the pigs ate. And all the while, he can't even see the darkness that his sin has brought him into. That's a form of insanity. At least it is for one of the, one of the king's sons. Amen? When we can let sin take us so low and not see how low it has taken us, we've been blinded by the effects of sin. It costs him a lot. I might suggest this, that it costs the father more than it ever costs the son. Right? Because it costs the father everything that it costs the son. Because if you've got children, you understand that everything your kids go through, you go through. But then it also costs the daddy a robe, a ring, some shoes, and a fatted calf. I'm saying this, what are you getting? What kind of return are you getting on the investment of your time in life? What kind of a return are you getting on your energy in life that, that you're expending on things? Now, yeah, I'm not telling everybody to go out and quit the job join the ministry. But I am saying this, you better make sure that you don't let 70 years pass you by and you lay on a deathbed and think to yourself, I've not done anything for Christ. I've not done anything for Christ. And that 70 years has been wasted and squandered on things that are just going to pass away and burn up anyway. That brings me to my third thought. I think it's foolish not only because of the inspiration of it, and not only because of the investment of it, but because of the ultimate intent of it. What was it all for? Notice what it says there in verse number 13. He says, and buy and sell and get gain. Get gain. I jotted down in my notes just a few moments ago, 1 Timothy 6, 7. We need every decision we make in life, we ought to lay 1 Timothy 6, 7 on top of it and ask ourselves this question, is it worth it? Because Paul says this, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. I don't believe it's against the will of God for a man to labor and work and provide for his family. In fact, I'd say this, I believe it's squarely within the will of God for a man to work and provide for his family. If a man does not provide for his own family, he's worse than an infidel and has to deny the faith. But we need to understand that at the end of this day, if all we're trying to do is pile up zeros in a bank account or more square footage in a home or a nicer car, that's a waste of the time, of the life of the believer. There's more important things in this life. You see, it wasn't that it was so wrong for them to make money, but it was that they were getting ready to invest an entire year of their life in a decision they hadn't even consulted God on, and the greatest thing they might get from it is just a few dollars and nothing more. If it had been a million dollars, it wouldn't have been enough to pay for the time. You know why? Because money is something that you might later be able to get more of, but when you've spent time, it never comes back. Never comes back. This day, 2017, I don't even remember what day. I don't even keep up days of the month. I mean, I pulled it. We was leaving a restaurant today. Tell me something crazy. We, I hope this lady don't ever hear this on the Internet. She's going to hate me. But we was leaving a restaurant, and this lady pulled up, and she said, Is today Saturday? No, I always dress like this to go to a Mexican restaurant. Amen. I looked at her, I said, no, it's Sunday. She said, oh, Sunday. I got my days around and I miss church. I said, yeah, I bet you did. Amen. I'm sure they'll be calling you to find out where you's at. Amen. You didn't miss the Mexican restaurant, but you missed church. I don't even know where we was going with that. Do you? Anybody know? I'm going to start giving everybody a copy of my notes. So when I do these things, you can say, preacher, you's right here. Just remember. <laughs> 
I'm saying this, time slips away from us. And before we know it, it can be gone. There's some, listen, there's some wrinkled hands that could raise in testimony to that. There's some people with some age on their face that could testify to that, that they never planned on getting old this quick. You know, the thrust of the whole passage is this. Go to now. Go to now. Not, to, not tomorrow, not the day after, not a year down the road. Go to now and serve God, because you may not get any more. At the end of the day, all that time was invested, and all it was for was just to get a little extra money. Let us be careful that our foolish plans don't become stumbling blocks. Because let me tell you something. You know what a stumbling block is? If you stand there long enough, it becomes a tombstone. And there's a lot of people that that thing they're hung up on right now, where they know they need to serve God, they know they need to give their heart and life over, they know they need to make a decision or give something up, but they're just hung up on it. One of these days, if you're not careful, 50 years from now, when they bury you, you'll still be struggling with that thing. And that'll be what marks. You know, that's what you do with a tombstone. You write an epitaph. You sum up somebody's life. And how sad would it be? For our life to have been wasted in the epitaph on our stumbling block that became a tombstone to simply be, they couldn't get over their pride. They couldn't trust God enough. They couldn't give up whatever it was that God was dealing with them about. I'm saying this, there's a steep price to it. And that's a poor return to invest your entire life and all you get is, quote unquote, gain that you can't even take out of this world. I think foolish plans are one of the obstacles. Let me give you a second one tonight. I think faulty presumptions are something that keeps us from serving God. Look what he says in verse number 14. It says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Now, the thrust of these three verses deals with the presumptions that we make about life. And I'd like for you to notice, first off, in verse number 14, how these presumptions deceive us. You'd be amazed the things that you just assume or take for granted. And one of the things that their original plan assumed was this, that there would be something beyond that year that they'd spend buying and selling and getting gain. I found this to be true. There's not a single born-again believer walking this earth that doesn't plan on serving God someday. But here's the truth. Someday never gets here. All you've got is today. That's it. And one of the things that God is drawing our attention to is this, the brevity of life and the uncertainty of tomorrow. And he describes, he says, your life is it's like a vapor rising up from a, a boiling pot or from a teapot. I mean, it's there. It's real. It's substantive. You can see it, but it's only there for a moment. It's so fragile. It's so short-lived. That if you don't look out and grab it at that moment, if you don't feel the steam off of it, if you don't uh, examine and experience that vapor in that moment, then you don't have a second chance. It's gone. The fact is, you know what our uh, you know what our big grand plans that are always for tomorrow do? They they take for granted that there's going to be a tomorrow when we don't know that. You'd be amazed, man. There's people, and I'm going to talk a little bit about it more here in a second. But there's people, man. They got all kinds of great things they're going to do. I mean, if it was based on what they're going to do, they'd be the best Christian walking up and down the block. But the problem is that tomorrow never comes. It never touches today. And they never take action. And they never step out in faith. And they never get busy serving God. And so all they ever do is talk about tomorrow. We see how they deceive us. Notice number two, how they distract us. Verse number 15, For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. 
I want you to listen very carefully. You're either focused on your plans or God's plans. I will say that again. You are either focused on your plans or you're focused on God's plans. You know, part of the problem with us making these plans and assuming we're going to have time to carry them out is it distracts us from what this life is really here for. Do you know that you could be the greatest success that mankind would ever laud and would ever applaud? You could have more money than, than Rockefeller ever had. You could have uh, more uh, fame than anybody that's ever walked the earth. You'd have more power and more influence than anybody. But if you've missed the will of God, I want you to listen. You're a complete failure as a believer. If you miss the will of God, you have failed. It doesn't matter what else you do. And the thing about these grand plans and things we're always going to do is it distracts us from what we really ought to be focused on, which is finding the will of God and doing it. By the same token, you might be somebody that the world never knows your name. I've often, you know, they don't ever let me preach in other churches. I don't know why. I don't know if you decided that or they decided that. or I, I, I suspect there's just no demand. But, I, you know, it's always funny because you all, I always imagine I'm going to stand in front of church and say, you don't know me, and here in about 45 minutes you're going to understand why. Amen? I, Toby Weber's not anybody important. I hope I'm important to some of the people in the room, but I, I'm saying in the grand scheme of the world, ain't nobody important. I, I, listen, uh, CNN or Fox News went knocking on my door to see what I thought about the inauguration. Amen? Nobody was calling me for my comments on the day's events. But by the same token, let me say this. I may miss everything the world has to offer, but I do believe right now that I am in the heart of God's will. And as such, can I say this, that I'm satisfied in being in the center and heart of God's will. If you miss everything that the world appreciates, but you find the will of God, friend, you've found the right thing. And you can hang your head high or hold your head high, and you can call yourself a success, for you found the will of God and you're doing it. At the end of the day, here's what we ought to be doing. We ought to be saying, if the Lord will, we'll do this or that. The pursuit should not be our plans. The pursuit should be the will of God in our life. I want you to notice not only how they distract us, but notice verse number 16, how they damage us. The Bible says this, But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Can I confess to you? Would that be all right? I'm going to make a confession that this verse has always been a little bit mysterious to me. I may, I, I'm, I'm dumb, amen. I mean, I'm hillbilly, and I don't. I, I just people say, "What do you think about the Hebrew and Greek?" I say, "I have trouble with English, amen." Um, but uh, you, you know, I, I, I've always kind of struggled with that verse to really wrap my mind around what it's saying. I believe this is what the Lord is saying in this, and I believe the Lord confirmed this in my heart. What he's saying is this, the only thing you're rejoicing in is the things you say you're going to do. And he says, that, that is evil. Now, I think we need to uh, have a little bit of context here. I don't think it's wrong to be excited about things you have planned for the future. We have things planned ministry-wise that we want to see God do, and we believe it'd be the will of God for our church. And some of them I've shared, some of them I haven't. But, but think, and I'll be honest, I'm excited for 2017. I'm excited at what I believe God is going to do in this upcoming year and how God is going to show Himself great and holy and mighty in this place. But at the end of the day, we ain't got nothing to rejoice about until we've got there. Amen? Nothing wrong with having plans. But if we spend all our time rejoicing in what we're going to do instead of what we are doing, something is wrong. And I believe the reason it says all such rejoice or all such boasting is evil is for this reason, because you spend all your time rejoicing in your plans instead of in your progress. 
And it anesthetizes you to the reality of a stagnant situation. I said it early, and I'll say it again, that there's some people that if we were going by what they planned to do, man, I mean, they're letting it go. They're happening. Amen. They've got all the greatest plans. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. Preacher, just as soon as this happens, I'm really going to get plugged in and start serving. Preacher, as soon as this happens, man, I'm, I'm going to quit worrying about this, and I'm just going to start serving God. And that's all they've got is one of these days, preacher, as soon as this or that changes. And the whole time, see, they feel like they're a good Christian because they intend on doing that. And they do genuinely intend. But the problem is they don't see, while it's not wrong to plan, we can't let the planning become the substance. We have to understand that, uh, and I understand it's all by grace. I understand it's a finished work and all that. But I also understand we're to be servants of God. Amen? And I understand we're not to rejoice in what we've done, but others ought to be able to rejoice in what we've done. We ought to be able to rejoice in what others have done. But here's the thing, ain't none of that going to happen if if nobody ain't doing nothing. Amen? We've got to get busy. And I believe that these faulty presumptions, oh, they'll always be tomorrow. No, there ain't always going to be tomorrow. And you might find out that that day when you ain't got no more tomorrows comes a lot sooner than you planned on. There's been a lot of folks cut short in this life. There's been a lot of folks that had big plans that was going to serve God on a tomorrow, and then all of a sudden they just ran out of tomorrows. And they never got anything done for Jesus Christ. I think faulty presumptions. Let me give you a final thing, and, and I'll be done. These all sort of tie in together, but let me say, look at verse number 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And I, I guess it may be an obstacle, maybe not. Maybe I'm just wrapping up the, the thought, but let me just say this, that Fruitless procrastination is an obstacle to us serving God. And can I just can I end the message not by exhorting you to say this? You don't have to do everything, but by the grace of God, you ought to do something. You ought to do something. Uh, notice the apprehension that is spoken of here, it, it, talking about what we understand and what we grasp. It says, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good. And the fact is, most of us in this room, we may not know everything we need to be doing right, but most of us know more than what we're doing. You may not understand everything you need to do. You may not know what's coming down 20 years down the road. But most of us know some area with which we could take a step forward in our walk with Christ. Right at this very moment. Here's the problem. Not only do we have an apprehension, but we're plagued with apathy. And doeth it not. Can we, just, can we just get honest this evening? Are you serving God or aren't you? I want to hear your excuses. I don't mean that in an ugly way, but I'm just saying. I don't want to hear your excuses. I don't want to hear your, uh, your reason why it's going to be the next time or the next month or the next whatever it is. Let's just be honest. Are we serving God or aren't we? Because at the end of the day, there is an accountability coming. To him that knows to do good and doeth it not, to him is sin. See, I don't think this. Pa- I heard this passage all growing up, and you'd hear preachers get up and preach it, and they would try to make it seem as though God is is blasting about all the sins of omission. I believe in sins of omission. I believe there is such a thing as sins of omission, and I'm not saying this isn't dealing with it in some respect. But I don't think the intent of this passage is to cause us to walk around on eggshells, uh, to cause us to drive ourselves to death like workhorses, uh, trying to do every single thing that can possibly be done. I think the person that he has in mind here is somebody that knows what they need to be doing. But they just don't want to. And let me tell you something, that's where a lot of us are at as Christians. You know what's so sad about our apostasy? We've gotten to a place where we've quit even making excuses. There was a time at least people had enough about them to make excuses for why they didn't serve God. But God help us when we're in a day when born-again Christians will look at somebody and say, 
I just don't want to. God help us. I just don't want to. Let me tell you something. That kind of apathy is toxic. That's what we call lukewarm. Amen? Have need of nothing. I'm all right. Just right where I'm at. One of these days, you're going to answer to God for that. One of these days, you're going to stand accountable. If you're saved by God's grace, you're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And on that day, there won't be no excuses, only truth. All things will be made manifest. You know how the Bible describes it? It says uh, that all of our works that day, they're going to be tried by fire, revealed by fire. On that day, all those excuses is going to burn up. And it won't mean a thing. All your reasons, they're just going to burn up. And it won't mean a thing. I want to ask you something. What's holding you back from serving God today? It could be a pet sin, something particular in your life that God's been dealing with you about. And you're just too stubborn and prideful and carnal and addicted to that sin to turn it over to God and let Him take it away from you. It could be some big grand plan that you've got, and you're just waiting for the stars to align and everything to be just right. Well, go ahead and keep your plans, but do this. Purpose to serve God in the time being. And make sure that whatever you're doing, you're doing something for the cause of Christ. Maybe it's just that you don't feel like it right now. I don't mean this in an ugly way, but there'll come a day, there will come a day that you give all the gold in the kingdom to just get a moment back to invest in the cause of Christ. And right now, you have that moment. So what are you going to do with it? Whatever it is that's stopping you from serving God, I'll tell you this, you'll be the better off if you'll just surrender it, confess it, forsake it. Ask forgiveness. Move past it. You don't have to know everything that you're going to do. You just have to know what that next step is, which is to surrender that thing and to surrender your life and say, Lord, I don't know everything, but God, I'll follow you if you'll lead me, and I'll do what you'd require and ask of me. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed.